Hi, this is Noga. I want to sort of explore this concept of change. And I think a lot of the times we have this false, unrealistic expectation that things will remain constant. And nothing does. Nothing. Not even your hair. Nothing. So... How do we adapt? Just continual adaptation all the time. One of the things that is sort of misleading, which touches our lives really personally, it's our relationships with our spouse, or in some cases, multiple spouses. These will change. And it might be unexpected, Why? Because our parents told us that it will always be because it was for them. And that's that's probably true for them. But times are changing, just like our hair. All the time it's changing. Today we communicate with each other in a very different way than we did in the past. And there are different expectations. Now there is a capability to change our minds at the drop of the hat, actually faster than that. And it's acceptable. It's sort of socially deemed to be an okay thing to do, so long as you follow the other socially acceptable rules, which means commitment as was previously defined, doesn't doesn't fit necessarily. It might for you, and good, uh, good if that's the case, but it likely is different. It likely is a various a variation on that manifestation, and it can be damning to people to see that difference I had uh, I, I, I went through a divorce and I think a lot of people have gone through a divorce uh, the rate of uh, divorce is quite high but it looks different for each person and there's the concept of each relationship being different but there's also the concept of monetary remuneration not being available if actual commitment by law wasn't made. And honestly, it's very common, very common for a marriage and a union to take place in the absence of any officiation. And as a result of that, there's the the lending or the sharing of resources, which is not protected by law. Not to mention the lending of dependence on the emotional comforting, as well as the potential for emotional abuse. Both both things, and I recognize that I listed the two ends of the spectrum. And that's not everything. Of course, there's a spectrum of things in between. So, 
I have a friend who's also undergoing a divorce, but this friend is just about 20 years older than me. That's a little less, but it looks quite different. The generations have changed quite a bit. I'm not suggesting that this person's divorce is less important, not at all, but it looks quite different. And of course, there are fewer protections under law because the relationships, at least in my generation, don't officiate in the same way necessarily. They can, but they don't necessarily. Things look quite different. And as a result of that, there's a need, a constant need for adaptation to these changes. Things are changing fast. Now, you could say, oh, that's no good. That's not comfortable. You could say that. Or you could say, wow, we're getting faster. Sorry, we're getting smarter, smarter faster than we did before. And I would, argue, I would argue that that's the case. Right now, the the game that's being played by our media on people's emotions with the COVID scare, it, it, it was always the case. And it will remain the case that contagion is something which is true and a vulnerability both for you to receive and for you to convey that will always remain the case COVID is no more lethal than many of the other things which circulate with our, throughout our population but now it's being utilized to further polarize thoughts now the American government is trying to uh, polarize against China as if all of China <laughs> chose to distribute COVID. I'm sure they didn't. And as it turns out, scientifically, we've traced it back to a, a small incident of uh, consumption of something that's not typically consumed within a, uh, I think they call it a wet market, which is not typical to the U.S. But uh, it culturally, it's totally fine within China. It's not like China said, oh, let's do this in order to screw over Americans. Not at all. And there are other things which have come from China in the way of diseases. Last time, forget about China, nearby to China, last time I was in Vietnam, I was getting a uh, facial and my esthetician sneezed and coughed all over me. Now, of course, my eyes were closed, so I didn't realize exactly where the sneezing and coughing were happening until I got sick the next day. So I got some sort of contagious disease. Oh man, it sucked. <laughs> it super sucked. But it's always it, it's always a vulnerability. It will always remain a vulnerability. But currently we're we're being smart to enlist 
fear against this very, very predictable outcome, and then bringing in sort of boogeyman mentality around it being fearful. It's not very fatal. It, it can be. That's true. But so can a lot of diseases. It's not particularly fatal. It's not like getting COVID means a problem. I see our media, somebody with a typeboard, uh, sorry, a keyboard, I don't know who, suggested that COVID has long-term negative health impacts. As a health healthcare practitioner, uh, not practitioner, I'm not a doctor, but as a healthcare administrator and scientist, I know that we couldn't possibly do the scientific studies necessary to determine long-term impact because not enough time has passed. We just can't do that. So somebody with a keyboard, not necessarily a doctor even, distributed that fear, and now people are repeating it. People are repeating it more and more so in a more potent way because now... Words are empowered and spread through social media. You have to admit, whatever it is that's going on is quite clever. It is. Do I think that it's smart? It depends. It depends on what the objectives might be. From the media perspective, they want to see engagement and readership of their articles. And uh, there are many perspectives, and I can't tell you what all of their objectives are, but this is controlling people. And always, there's, there's a desire to control people's behaviors. That's what marketing is. That's what business is. Ultimately, the outcome that's desired is behavior control. But people have free will until we repress their free will using government forces, using scare tactics, a lot of things. So I, I would guess that I got COVID at some point. I mean, I've been traveling. I've been on airplanes. I've been moving around different countries. I would guess that I got it. I'm 36, so of course that'll leave my system easily. I pretty much never get sick, ever, except the last time I was sick was in Vietnam from that woman who coughed and sneezed on me. Okay. I, I just, I don't really get sick very often. I recognize that other people think that I'm going to get them sick. That will always be the case. Always, always, always. And it's also possible that because I have a good immune system that I'll be a carrier for something. Forget about COVID. For something not desirable. And your immune system, I'm, I'm being very general, you, somebody, uh, might might be susceptible to something that I'm carrying. You might get it from me, even in the absence 
of me having any symptoms. That will always be the case. Always. So, what do we do? Lock ourselves in a cave or our homes? I, I don't think that's any way to live. I don't think that that's conducive to the exchange which is actually needed, which is actually most rewarding in life. And that's interpersonal. We talk to people in spite of the fact that they might have a cough, a cold, a sneeze, because there's something more valuable than whether or not we get their their disease. However, I recognize that people are afraid. I recognize that people are taking this very seriously, and I don't want to be disrespectful. So I'll wear a mask, which is known to be ineffective for the blockage of common things like foods and colds. I'll wear it because I understand that many people take comfort in me wearing these surgical masks. But don't don't expect me not to make fun. I'll go out with my friend for dinner and then as we sit down to eat, we have to take off our masks. And then I say something like, well, surgery went well. Because it's ridiculous that I'm wearing a mask. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't even block the common flu. And that is actually well documented and well known. It was studied even in 2020. I think we need to be smart. We need to get our priorities straight. Maybe you're afraid of dying. And, I mean, I think most people are. Which means that you have to be careful about your health. And that that's multiple things. That's not just whether or not you get COVID or the bird flu. I just call what I got in Vietnam the bird flu. I have no idea what it was. Um, but it just comes across funnier, I think. Maybe you don't, but that's mine. I So maybe... Maybe what you want to do is block yourself from getting a disease. But there are other diseases which manifest based on our everyday behaviors, such as coronary artery disease, which we know kills more, more people than COVID ever did. So are you eating healthily? Are you eating enough fruits and vegetables? Are you eating a lot of fiber? Are you eating low-fat proteins? Probably not. Are you eating simple carbs? Pop Very probably, yes. And we don't stop the people who make our food labels from saying things which are misleading to make us believe that it's a whole grain when actually it isn't. This happens a lot. Do you know how to read food labels? Do you know what what components to target in your your particular health areas? I would guess no. It's quite technical. 
And the, one of the reasons why it's so technical is because we haven't had it well regulated. But now we have a lot of regulation to our free will based on something biological, something which is totally normal and will never go away. People talk about an end to COVID. It, it will never end. The, the vulnerability of contagion will always be there. Always. So what do we do? We have to pick up our mentality. And we have to pick up our dignity. Too often, we allow these fear strategies to mandate or manipulate our feelings. And we have to be protective not only of contagion, but also of contagion in the way of negative thought. This fear tactic is considered to be terrorism. So when, and I know most people aren't Israeli, but when they started having bus bombings in Israel, and it was considered to be like a global scare tactic for the the civilians. And then they started having, um, what do they call it, Tachanat Merkazit, um, public taxis to combat it and that's that's actually pretty clever so taxis private that go to public places and that way the taxi driver got to kind of filter out who gets on the taxi with the others pretty clever but when that started happening it was scary all Israelis were scared into not moving around the country other than with their private vehicles and what do you do if you don't have a private vehicle thankfully they came up with that strategy but this global fear is considered to be terrorism is considered to be traumatic it's not something that we can take lightly now we move into shared spaces. Now we're attempting to what they call reopen. And that just gets people in their private thoughts afraid of the vulnerability. And then they look at contagion, which is a completely uninteresting number. Because people will get stuff. They will. Always. The question is whether or not people die from it. So I get the cold or the flu or the bird flu or whatever it is. Do I die from it? No, I'm still here. We need to move into a place of mitigating the impact of fear so that we can interact again. There is greater value to the exchange of thoughts of presence with one another than there is to the prevention of spread of disease. And this was, I have to say, this was a very clever scare tactic. I mean, 
it, it, it's kind of brilliant. And here we are, compliant. This can only be used for negative, or so it appears. Can we use it for positive? Can we use it for the workplace? We've been talking. We've been talking about desire and motivation. How do we then change, not change, transform that motivation into culture and values? And this is sort of that next step. And uh, I'm not suggesting that there aren't any <laughs> in between, but just make it quite simple. That next step is to transform that same principle which is currently used in a way which is hurting us, transform that into something which can help us. So just as for, for the workplace, if you're a VC, HR leader, or workplace director, just as there is a lot of fear around being around people due to that contagion. We can transform that into fear of not interacting with one another. We need to get better grips on the positive impact that we are missing out on. Now, of course, we have Zoom meetings and we can make phone calls, but it's not the same. I have a lot of family in Israel, a lot. I, um, when I was younger, my mom used to tell me about my grandmother, or maybe two of them. And I thought, you're making up a story? I'll make up a story. So I gave this grandmother lots of cats, and I said that she lived in Chicago. I, I lived in St. Louis, and I just came up with it stuff because I figured she was coming up with stuff too this mystical family in another country okay so we're seeing people take on that that thought process so people make up this they, maybe it's factual but people talk about this fear of COVID and then I hear other people coming up with various ways that it works without scientific evidence right like the person with the keyboard who made some sort of longitudinal conclusion without enough time having passed to be able to make such a conclusion okay so make up make it up make it work for you as a leader HR leader VC or director it's within your power to turn it around. So rather than, and this is an example, but certainly I'm sure you can come up with others, but rather than fearing contagion, and more than likely you'll get over it, rather than fearing contagion, how about fear of missing out? Uh, we have within our retirement accounts a catch-up contribution after, um, I think it's the age of 55. 
So people who are above the age of 55 are eligible to contribute in excess of the typical amount in order to catch up for their retirement. And that's because they don't want to miss out. Same thing. How about a catch-up interpersonal connection, contribution? How about fear of missing out from interaction? This is an idea. There's more. There are more options. Now, from the, from the personal perspective, we talked about things changing with time. We talked about relationships being different than what our parents told us it might be like because time passed. Not because our parents were misleading us, but because things are different now. I talked to my mother. I'm in talent development. I talked to my mother, and she is critical of my sister for having my, um, not that he should take her demands, but having my, uh, nephew participate in less than austere activities to boost his resume. Okay, she can criticize that, but now, today, those types of high-level activities aren't regarded on the same level. Now, people, children, the next generation, don't do a lot. Not that they do nothing, but it's not typical to do a lot like it was in my generation. As a result of that, my nephew doing maybe a less austere activity is still better off than his uh, classmates just because most of them aren't doing much. Alright, so they're there's that cultural value. Now, my mother, his grandmother, wants to see a higher level of activity. But maybe that higher level of activity is no longer as highly valued. Maybe it's good for the intellectual development, but it's not good for the external outcomes. And don't forget, every individual chooses the outcomes that they, they care about the most. Alright, so what's the cultural value? Again, this is back to that component. A step beyond motivation. A step beyond just the actions. But what is the guiding principle? Just doing? Doing things at a high level? Peaking? your intellectual capacity what is the cultural value and how do we impact that there has to be something positive which comes from those things in the case of our businesses we see business impacts we see business development we see innovation we see ourselves gaining greater market share in the case of the individual, we, are, we see a progression of our capability to adapt, potentially. 
there are things which will always change. And that adaptation isn't just about coming up with creative ways of doing things, but also ways of feeling about things. The damning potential of terrorism, the damning potential of not being able to go to your classroom. What do we do with those emotions? How can we manipulate them, turn it around to make it give us the outcome that we need and maybe even more than that? Just some tips to help you out today. Bringing it from desire to motivation to cultural values. Moving it along. There's more, of course, and we'll talk about it further. This is Noga with Noga Coach Consulting. Have a great day.